It's time for Splendid Chats, the award-winning podcast that's slightly hungover but still classy. Please welcome our host, Ben McKenzie, John Richards, and the actual Lee Zachariah. Hello, everyone. Hello, Petra Elliott. How are you doing? I'm very well. I'm very good. Can I just... Just a small point of order. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm not sure if the podcast is award-winning. I no. think what you're referring to is, of course, Night Terrace, That's our true. audio comedy series, which last night won the Convener's Award for Excellence, the Aurealis Awards. We're pretty happy about this, aren't we? And smug. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, to be fair, it's the Splendid Chaps behind Night Terrace, so I still think it applies. I, I have to say, I've never used the phrase award-winning so many times in 24 hours. <laughs> I know, right? I really annoyed my house guest and housemates. I've already found one of those little graphics of the laurel wreaths. <laughs> Yes. And it's got, I've, I've already updated some pictures. I'll show you later. Well, we should also um, make special mention of our wonderful audience that's here today as yes. well, who are very kind backers of Night Terrace Season 1. So uh, we invited them along for this special celebration of 10 years of New Who. 10 years New Who. Woo! It's kind of a tea party we're having as well. There's cake, there's biscuits. It's quite nice. Wait. To be fair, mm. Dalek biscuits. There are awesome Dalek biscuits oh. made by Claudia. Well done. Thank uh, you. Oh, made Thanks, by Claudia's, Claudia's mum. mum. Thanks, Claudia's okay. mum. I should have picked that because it had Claudia's mum kind of, yeah, the look. Yeah, you know, you know, the, the Claudia's mum brand. Yeah. You, you can really yeah. tell that. <laughs> Sorry, can I just jump in here and point out that uh, we won an award last night? <laughs> <laughs> but not for this. So let's not milk Thank it. Thank you, Lee Stickerite. I mean, oh, no. Zachariah. Zachariah. It's the real, it's the real thing. Lee. Yeah. The real Lee. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, you might want to check that out, Night Terrace or, you know, Kickstarter, Night Terrace Season 2. You might want to go and just look at that award-winning. We've come back for another podcast of Splendid Chaps. Didn't we say we weren't ever going to do this again? No, I don't believe we ever said that. (laughs) (laughs) Although we did try to do one earlier in the year and our venue fell through. That's true. Well, because we want to celebrate, because, of course, this is 10 years of of Since Who came back. Mm. But it's also the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who in Australia. Yes. Because that was, mm-hmm. it was 65. So we wanted to celebrate mm. 10 years of New Who. We've got lots of questions that come in from people. We wanted to have some tea and there's no excuse to do that unless you're making a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> or a dance party video. Or a dance party video. Um, so I guess in general, I mean, the, the, one of the other things too is we had a little little event the other night where Lucas Testro, who's been a previous guest on the show, um, decided to hold a screening and we watched one episode from each Doctor. And as a sort of celebration, Benjamin, you were here. What, what did you take? What was your takeaway from that? What Uh-oh. did you What did you learn from watching four of the Doctors, not counting the War Doctor? Well, in I, a row? I, I actually, I, I kind of agreed with your major comment on the night that particularly the um, the Russell T Davies era episodes have surprisingly dated, or maybe not surprising, because we talked about this when we talked about that era that they made a deliberate decision to make it feel like the time that it was being made. Like, they they chose things that were very um, fashionable at that time, so it really looks like it's, like, the mid-2000s. And now you look at it, and it's not just that. It's also, uh, and I think Lucas pointed this out, it's also the way it's shot, but it's also the kind of film... It's, it's not on HD... Um, the tech of it is interesting, sets. but it's yeah. Well, not feels... even even. It's just funny. The look of it is yeah. It's noticeably mm. not what like because you can see it, it's, it's a real, different. There's a real jump with the first year of Matt Smith. It's only has yeah. a, a much mm. different kind of texture to the cinematography. Yeah, mm. I think yeah. what we did in 2013 when we were doing the episodes in order, mm. I was putting chaps. It did get a little bit negative when we got to New <laughs> <laughs> You and, got negative. Yeah. Well, not just me, darling. Not just me. And. <laughs> 
yeah. there was. Actually, just, can I jump in because as a listener of those last yeah. few episodes, I thought it was particularly interesting that uh, what was arguably the most popular era of Doctor Who ever, there was almost nothing positive yeah. about it. <laughs> we, we thought we had found fans to be on the panel and didn't realize they had the same conflicted views we did, and that it was kind of yeah. awkward to go, "Oh, that didn't work out." But um, <laughs> no, but what I was saying is that what's changed for me is that because I loved the Capaldi season so much, which we we haven't talked about because it was after we stopped doing this. I love that so much that now retrospectively I feel happier about the whole thing because I go, look, once, <laughs> e- once, once every five years I'll make a series I like. That's all right. That's a pretty good innings. I, I can live with those options. Yeah. Once every five years. First year of Matt Smith, Capaldi. Done. Whoa. Happy with that. Okay. So, yeah, so I, I've come away kind of with a much more like, oh, that's interesting, isn't it? Oh, oh. You've, got, you've got a bad four years in store. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really awful. No, but this is interesting too because so many people seem to be getting angry about the Capaldi years and they really hated it. And I was there going, I love this. This is great. I think this is the best writing, best thematic linking of a series they've ever done. And I thought, oh, I guess that is the thing as I had mentioned in one of the episodes coming to was that it felt like with New Who nothing... If you look at any kind of five to seven year span of the original series, huge amounts are changing. Yeah, you know, whether it's going from black and white to colour or it's like completely different approaches to making telly. Yeah. You know, there's there's very little there you'll find one year is recognizably a much like the year seven years later. But it felt a little bit with New Who like it wasn't changing that much. And I kind of like the fact that I think this last year mm. has shown that in fact it can still change quite drastically. And it might be that you'll never like every year of it. But that's kind of the point. Yeah, no, I think I think that's true. I I've felt very strongly that the new doctors and the new era is much they're much more similar to each other than pretty much any of the previous eras were to to each other. And you, you don't, I mean, I, I felt this, I felt it really strongly actually when David Tennant started, particularly in his first season, that they were just writing him exactly the same way they were writing Eccleston. And, and mm. the, it was just his performance that was making him into a different character. And it, so even the voice of the character felt to me very, very samey. Whereas Capaldi, you can't give those lines to yeah. Matt Smith or Tennant or... Oh, I, I would, uh, I would disagree. On, I, think, I think on the most, for the most part, the character is written, generally speaking, the same. Mm. And I felt more of a change between the first year of Matt Smith and the next year where they'd written The Doctor... And Matt Smith had performed in this, him in this incredibly uh, mercurial, wacky, I'm loath to use that word, but I will, way. And then they started writing him that way. And they do the same with in Pirates of the Caribbean. You can see them writing to what they think Johnny Depp's going to do. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it sort of takes away that interpretive uh, uh, sense. But I think generally speaking, like if you... Uh, I, I remember uh, Moffat publishing the audition uh, the script he'd written for the 12th Doctor in Doctor Who magazine. And I saw everyone say, oh, it's, it's just, it sounds like Matt Smith. He's written it like Matt Smith. If you go back and read it now and picture Capaldi reading it, it sounds like Capaldi. So do you think, like, the, the dialogue would, would be true for any of the Doctors? So you think, like, basically it's always going to be the actor who's changing the... I think so. Look, to a degree, I think uh, they, they do make slight changes. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, I think he's written basically in the same way. Now, we have heaps of questions have come in on Facebook and Twitter, so let's just start because this is what we're discussing anyway. John Blum, he's written Doctor Who, he's written Doctor Who books and audio. He's about to use the word gotten, which is kind of odd for an author, but there you go. John Blum says... <laughs> I love John very much. You should. Just saying... You should. ...gotten, that's all. I, I, I actually... I had a teacher uh, in primary school who banned us from using the word got. 
Yeah. Just got. Oh. You just couldn't use got. You had to find other words got, to get got around shot, it. Got shot, as I was repeatedly told. Got shot. Well, wow. wow. Look, if wow. I can respond to John Blum's question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, I've gotten. Has the range of Doctor Who gotten narrower or wider in the past ten years? That's an interesting, because what kind of range? Well, because uh, I think it's, it may have been Gary Russell. Someone's talked in the past about how we kind of go on about how this is an infinite concept where you can do anything, but in fact, most of the times it doesn't. Yeah, like it's always going to be yeah. one particular type of kind of adventure story. Every now and story. then, you know, we've said this before, every now and then a story comes along and you think no other show on TV could do mm. this. Mm. And that's when you go, oh, yeah, this is the well, best. Well, it's interesting how the Dr. Light episodes kind of forced it to do slightly mm. strange episodes. And in a way, it's, a, it's almost a shame that I don't think they have to do them anymore, but they, they kind of force the, the format to be yeah. different. I do like in the last couple of years it's gone quite surreal. Uh, actually, probably actually, no, probably since Matt Smith. So, you know, we went to kind of giant eyeballs with the Atraxi and, yeah, like it, it got quite psychedelic. <laughs> like yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And this last series where it did feel a bit like they were, they were you know, um, just putting some different stuff around and spinning, spinning a wheel and going, so it's a mummy on the Orient Express in space. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's brilliant. I think that's, that's the best the show can be. Yes, oh, yeah, that kind I of agree. Random. And that episode was, in fact, voted our favourite Peter Capaldi episode when we, uh, when we did a little screening. Yeah. Um, and you know, good reason. Yeah. So that was really that was that was great. It was just like let's throw all these things in together. But also that it was it was about the execution of those things. But if you look at I don't know if you look at the whole you know the ten years of New Who together, does it feel like I mean because I, I think in tone it maybe hasn't varied a great deal. You know I think I think there's sort of this level of um, sort of very silly kind of you know frippery on the surface and then trying to make it quite hard and hard edged and horrible things happen a bit underneath that. And and I feel like that tone has been pretty much consistent across the ten years with some, you know, a little bit of up and down maybe. Whereas if you look at, you know, you look at old Who and you can find episodes where it's, it's just silly and there's not really any, you know, hardness mm. underneath. And then you can find other episodes where it's just like, wow, this is really bleak. Um, but in in New Who you've always got that combination of the two, which I really like, you know, but I think that's been really consistent. So if you're talking Thematic or mood, uh, I, I think I think it has stayed pretty consistent. I don't know if that's varied that much. Petra, what are you, what's your thought? Um, well, see, I, I'm one of those people who likes the new Who. Um, or is, no, I should say I, I'm more familiar with new Who than the older Who. Um, I've... I think that the, the types of stories have definitely gone on a bit of a journey and some have been good and some have been less good. Um, <laughs> but it's with each new Doctor, we do seem to have a bit of a... Well, we try and have a bit of a shift in style, like whether it's... I mean, even the, the change in the opening credits, we try and sort of gear shift a little bit and make it fresh and, um, if, I'm, you know, as so, so many people... So it's people, almost like the new Doctor forces them to kind of go, let's try some stuff out. Yeah, yeah, like it gives them an excuse to go, well, you know, let's see if we can attract new viewers or if we can, you know, if the older viewers will still be okay with that. But, you know, I, I think a lot of people are watching um, along on ABC iView at the moment with all of the newer stuff and been watching um, Eccleston over the last um, couple of weeks and, you know, remembering what he brought to the character because, you know, that was 10 years ago. And you're right, it does sort of feel a little bit dated. Um, but I think that it was definitely they were aiming for a, a popular kind of culture more than the science fiction kind of oh, stories. And whether yeah. that makes the science fiction more accessible or not, I don't know. So... Um, I think that as they've 
gone, okay, Doctor Who's back and it's here to stay. Let's sort of explore that fantasy and that science fiction this last narrative. Year, in particular, I thought it was the first time we've seen them really, um, I don't know, it felt like it was the first time we've seen them really experimenting with other with tropes of other genres. Mm, mm. So, like, there was, yeah, Murder, Murder of Their Own Express, obviously, Murder of Master of Moment Their Own Express, but also um, the, is it Time Heist? Is that the name of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah. Time Heist is deliberately trying to do that caper. And it really stuff. was kind of like a heist film. Yeah, they did pull that off. And I don't I think we'd seen them play that much with filming techniques, maybe, up until now. And I kind of like that. I hope they'll do more of that, more of that yeah. kind of just drop the doctor into someone else's genre and see what mm. happens. Mm. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Eccleston, so this is the other bit for John Mom asked. Uh, which of the episodes after Eccleston left can you imagine him playing? Oh, uh, oh some of the ones in, the f- in, in Tennant's first year, I reckon. Oh, I would love to have seen him do... Um, oh, where was the one he fell in love, he became human and he fell in love? Oh, human nature. Thank you. Mm. Th- oh, that would have been really interesting. Oh, yeah, wow. Because David Tennant, everyone sort of, th- well... I think a lot of people see him as the romantic doctor and maybe Eccleston less so, even though he started that relationship with Rose sort of as the idea of boyfriend-girlfriend kind of thing. But I think, you know, to act, I, don't, I don't think... I don't see the romance. I see a friendship there yeah. for me. So to see the doctor in love played by Eccleston would be quite would, interesting. It would have been a much bigger contrast. Yeah, yeah. Because Tennant was so... He was, he was such that he was the most human... Of certainly of the new doctors in that sort of romantic way, mm. and then to portray and, and it felt a bit weird because the original novel that it's based on is is the book idea of the seventh doctor, who is this really alien figure, and so that was the big contrast in the book between him being alien and being human. And then you do David Tennant, and you're like, you're so human already. <laughs> like you're clearly in love with Rose. You're clearly still in love with her, even though Martha's around. Why is it? It's it, the main revelation is that you're in love with somebody else, and you find it easy. You know, I've been watching a lot of Broadchurch because I am absolutely love love that series. It's probably one of the first TV series in a long time where I've watched it week to week and, you know, done the whole free-to-air thing. I find Tennant more alien in that than I do in Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's fair enough. Is it because he's got a Scottish accent? No, no, You're it's racist. just... <laughs> <laughs> I am, do have Scottish origin. You do know that, right? Yeah, That's why I know. I'm so angry all of the time. <laughs> no, I think it's because, you know, he, it, it's a show about community and he's doing, even though he's there to help the community, he's on the outskirts of it. Mm. Whereas in Doctor Who, well, he is the community. It's everyone else along with him for his story. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, and they keep, I mean, you know, and you see that in, the, in his episodes, they keep bringing back the things where, you know, he makes little references to the fact that he has a family and all that kind of stuff. And you don't, you don't see as much of that with Eccleston. And I would love to have seen, like, Fear Her. I actually would, I think I would love to have seen that with Eccleston. I mean, I actually, I've been thinking a lot about David Tennant recently because I'm, you know... Ew. I, I, <laughs> I like that. No, but I've been, I've been no, sort of revisiting. Fan, Patrick. Um, and I, you know, I think I gave him a really, I gave him a really sort of hard time when we did the episode about him... But he he pulled he pulled off something quite extraordinary, you know. He made Doctor Who so popular, but also he he really did bring a believable humanity to his character while still preserving the fact that he's not human, and and so it was really interesting to see him do that kind of stuff. But again, it would be great to see Eccleston doing those sort of stuff because it would be such a contrast. Like, can you imagine Eccleston talking about how he used to be a father? Like that would have been you would you just weep like it'd be so full on it would be amazing. Although I mean the real the real 
I mean, the, the very clever thing of Russell T. Davies, I think, when the show came back, was he basically made the companion the lead character. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense, I yeah. think. And it was funny because we, when we were rewatching the other night, uh, The End of the World was the, the Eccleston choice, which surprised me a little bit because it wasn't one I thought about. And yeah, it's a good episode. Um, but it was interesting watching that. He's so, Rusty Davis so clearly sets up not only that, that Rose is the central character, but he presents the type of person Rose is, which is effectively saying, you, the audience member, can like this show because this is the kind of show that you're the sort of person. And it was really funny because as it went on, I realised I didn't like Rose. <laughs> like, I didn't... No, just because just what he sets her up is he says, you're a bit racist, you're a bit frightened of new things, you want to kind of run home all the time. But you want to be better... You want to get better well, as a person. And that's the thing. Well. And then there's a scene where she's meant to learn and get better. And the problem, I think, is just there's a bit of narrative whiplash because it happens so quickly. It actually ends and up also, making her look just a little bit like she's but just... But if, if, if Rose is the audience and you don't like Rose, then maybe you don't like yourself, John. <laughs> Oh no! Yes, I, I, I think we're I think we're getting into some really important areas. Keep that. We've got a breakthrough finally. We, I, I was just going to say, David, can you can you insert the inception noise at that point? <laughs> um, but no, but it was interesting watching going. This is and I, I was it was one of those things where I kind of suddenly went because I, I don't really like Russell T Davies' writing, but he has this amazing knack for understanding a mainstream audience, which is also kind of weird because you think he should be an outsider. You know, these these the, the, the gay Welsh science fiction fan. You think he's going to be... And he seems to either not have any outsider kind of vibe or he has an outsider vibe that allows him to understand entirely who the insiders are. So he's... You know, precision made this show work for a mass audience and yeah. made it hugely successful. But it's just funny when I'm watching going, wow, I'm so not like you, Rose. Because I want to go travelling with the Doctor. I don't have to be talked into it. I don't need a magical mobile. And it was just fascinating to watch the cleverness of how he can link... I think a science fiction show with an audience that thought it didn't like science fiction. Well, I think that there is a tendency amongst Doctor Who fans to feel that it was always going to come back. It was always going to be popular because we love it. And sure, you know, there's this sort of this 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 weird expectation when it, the fact that it wasn't a low-budget, niche, six-episode run played at midnight on a Sunday... Uh, it's it's extraordinary that it was given the support and and the confidence and Russell T Davies. There is no one that I think could have brought it back the way he did, no. because he may be a writer, but first and foremost, he is P T Barnum. He knew yeah. how to. Yeah. You know that first meeting. I said, when are you bringing back the Daleks? He said, episode six. He knew that there would be a mid-season slump and that you'd need a big yeah. surge. You, mm -hmm. you, you, he knew that. Big Dalek War at the end of season one. Daleks versus Cyberman season two. The Master. You bring back the Doctor's opposite. It was this. Like you say, precision mm. planning. And I think he got everyone so... Uh, the general public so excited and so invested in it that it, I, I still think it's the most extraordinary magic act I've ever seen in television. Mm -hmm. There was an April Fool's story that we went around about um, how One Direction were going to be appearing on Doctor Who. <laughs> and there were all these outraged people going, this is terrible, what's happened to our show? And it was like, well, look, A, this is obviously an April Fool's story, but... B, this is exactly what Russell T Davies would have done. Yes. Like, this isn't, yeah, this is totally in keeping. Yeah, I totally his... bought it, but, and, yeah. but I was like, okay, like, let's yeah, do yeah. it, let's I, do it. No that makes that. perfect sense. You, you yeah. bought that One Direction are a bunch of aliens? Because <laughs> I would. I was just worried what, like, that that was going to be the explanation why Zane had left. Yeah, I was like, how are they going to explain that? 
I thought, yeah. explain Zane. Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. What happened to him? Now, here's another question. There's a broader one. This is from William Duffy. He says, Blink is seen by many as the best Doctor Who story ever and some have recommended it as one to introduce new fans to. However, the Doctor and Martha are hardly in it because it's really a good ghost story. It's been rewritten to include the Doctor. So what do fans feel is the best new Who that actually has the Doctor involved and would be a good episode to introduce new fans to the series? Oh. Uh, empty Child. R- oh, yeah. Richard Watts also said, yes, Empty Child, Doctor Dances was yeah. his choice. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. an extremely mm-hmm. good... Yeah. Girl in the Fireplace. Yes. Mm-hmm. Although it does, it does sort of tend to be heavy on the Doctor Romance style and I mm. think that that sort of perpetuates the idea that it's not a... Yeah, but I think, you know, it sets such a tone for the David Tennant era. Like, I think, mm. again, this is when I've been rethinking about David Tennant um, as much as, you know, we talked about this when we did the, the Sex and Relationships podcast... Um, that we found it a bit weird coming from old who to to deal with that, but really that's what his era is very much about. He's all about he's all about feelings and relationships and love and um, and that sets that tone really well. Um, so I think yeah, I think that's actually pretty good the for the modern series. But yeah, I would agree. Doctor Dancers or the Empty Child is really good. Also, the Beast Below, I think mm-hmm. I really love that. It gets a bit of a bad rap, but I think again, it's really about a lot of the things that Doctor Who is about when you try to figure out, well, how do you explain what it is? Because they, mm. they're visiting humans and, and, it, and the humans are essentially, you know, not doing the right thing. So it's not necessarily that... It's, it's that thing that Doctor Who sometimes doesn't do as much as it used to, but paints the other as not necessarily awful and evil. Like it tries to say, you know what, it's not about not belonging, it's about what you do. And these guys are doing the wrong thing, even though they are the human beings and ostensibly the hero in most stories. So I, I really yeah. like that. I always think that if you're going to introduce someone to something, you shouldn't show them the best of it because <laughs> they spend all their time. Like if, if someone's never seen a musical, you don't show them Singing in the Rain. They've never seen a black and white film. You don't show them Casablanca because they spend half the time adjusting to the style. You show them something bad. Once mm. they're used to it, then you hit them with something good. Yeah. So yeah. are you just slagging off Ben's choice? Or no, I'm supporting it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah. yeah, you can... You you can, yeah, you start with the Beast Below. I don't think it's the best episode of New Who, but I think mm. it's a really good introduction. I like it. Yeah, mm. And then after that, you can watch Blink and you can watch... I think 11th Hour actually often mm. feels like it's just a pilot. Like, like it's almost like if you'd never seen Doctor Who before, it almost feels like that's that could be the one that was relaunching it from 1989 yeah. or whatever. Yeah. You know, like it doesn't come with any baggage. He's just a guy who can't control his spaceship is what we... Yes and no. I think you can. There's certainly a level of appreciation in that one that you enjoy it if you do have that who background as well. Mm-hmm. It makes it that much more special. I think. Well, I think also it depends who who you're introducing it to. If you're introducing True. it to younger viewers, I think the eleventh hour is perfect mm. because you know he, he's got that childlike quality. He's talking to children, and it, he, and you see Matt Smith. That he's you know we talked about this and how we feel he's such so great with kids and and it yeah I think that would be a great one and it's and it is creepy without being like hide behind the sofa creepy and you say again you save that for later like yeah, that's yeah, when you yeah. show them blink or you show them uh, uh silence in the library or something like well, that. well sophie from canada actually picked that silence in the library is the one she likes to introduce people to new who with oh. she feels it's a better represent yeah basically it's a better representation of the series than blink although she does say that she really wants more sally sparrow always and forever i want sally sparrow to have her own spin-off series a la sarah jane yes <laughs> support. can i just point out every suggestion that we made was a Moffat episode. Was it? Yeah, either written by... You know, I yeah. noticed this the other day when I was, I was what, uh, uh, again, Empty Child, um, thinking he's a very good writer of the story. I just, you know, regret some of the 
character choices and story art choices mm. he's made, but he's very, very good. One of the things I think has shown up, and I've heard some stuff from behind the scenes as well, is that I think we kind of watch these things, yeah, as viewers, kind of thinking about them in an ideal world. You know, like, why did you do that? Away, you know, that's a bad choice. And then it turns out they did that because they were four weeks behind on another script and, yeah. you know, this was the only thing they had or that was the only... Like, a lot of it is just the desperation of getting it finished. Yeah. You know, like that, yeah. that thing that Lorne Michaels used to say about Saturday Night Live, you know, it doesn't go out because it's ready, it goes out because it's 11 o'clock. Yeah. You know, and, and I think there's... <laughs> That's it, yeah. And I think it is, it is funny when you suddenly hear some stuff about, you know, some of the disasters that happened during, I think it was season six in particular, and, and you know, the fact they were just trying to make a show. It's a show! Yeah. You know, it's like... And then you can see every stuff when they do have the time to kind of get it right. Because mm-hmm. like, yeah, I, I suspect with Moffat that series five and series eight he actually had the time to make the way he wanted. They feel less kind of mm. lurching from one thing <laughs> to another. <laughs> the other question we were asking about, which was, who are, who are some of the characters from oh, New yeah. Who yeah. that have been really successful? Like, who are the ones that, that kids in 20, 30 years' time are going to be buying the retro teapots of? <laughs> and, yeah. and who are the characters that have had, like, maybe a one-off appearance so far that you kind of would like to see come back? Yeah, we had a lot of people on Twitter talking about of stuff this sort of stuff. This. Yeah, and I, interestingly, I, I think some of the ones that were one-off, you don't want them to come back because mm. they they really are like you wouldn't want the empty child back. That would be weird. Like mm. that story doesn't make any sense for them to come back. But that is the one I think that people particularly, you know, that and the Weeping Angels, they're the ones that people are really going to remember. Like I saw, I was at a convention yesterday, um, big pop culture expo, and lots of people in cosplay, and I saw a little girl, couldn't be more than about eight like, go up to a weeping angel and, like, look at it and be all scared. And they took the photo of her being scared and then she immediately, like, gave the weeping angel a massive hug. Oh. And it was, like, the cutest thing you've ever seen. And I'm like, you're Adorable. Like, you, you weren't even watching TV when these guys came on TV the first time. And then you had to open up a history book to find out what happened to her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's true, yeah. Uh, she changed her name to Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, Norma Jean. <laughs> got sad real quick. <laughs> I thought that little girl was sweet. No, I, I think that is, I think it's also moving back slightly. So, uh, also, Claudia, who's, who's with us uh, here. Hello, Claudia. Hi, Claudia. Thanks <laughs> her, for her, the biscuits. Her, thank her mother. Thank her mother for the biscuits. Thanks, Claudia. Um, Claudia said, lots of the best monsters aliens from New Who either should have only appeared once, mm. and, um, and everyone's mentioned the Weeping Angels. The Weeping mm. Angels get mentioned over and over again when we ask this question. We'll get back to them in a second. Or only appeared once and shouldn't come back, the empty child, Vashna Narada, creature from Midnight, etc. Mm. The reason they're so interesting is because you don't know much about them or their motives, which is probably yeah. a fair point. And we're saying the Weeping Angels are kind of like the, 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 what the Sontarans were of the original series. Well, the first time they're amazing. Yeah. And then they come back and they're not quite as amazing. And then they start being a bit rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I... Slithing. <coughs> well, I think their arc actually is almost, is sort of inverted because I think their first one is, you know, the best by far. And the second time they come back, it's like, you've just writing more rules for no this is like this is like someone's written an expansion for a role playing game <laughs> without really understanding how the original works well, that's the thing isn't it like the whole point about them is the unknowability and the minute you try mm. and bring them back you kind of feel like like you, know, you want them to talk or you want them to it's like oh, no, but, uh, but I, I do feel like we fans want the rules that we know to stay the same we like the consistency mm. but I think from a dramatic standpoint if he's going to bring them back and whether you love or hate the idea he, he did I think you need to up it a little bit you need to add that unexpected thing and what, I, like Daleks being able to climb stairs sure sure well I mean you think about it every single uh villain iconic villain that was introduced is a product of the story it's in so you want to tell a parable about nuclear war then you have 
the Daleks in yeah. case you want to do, uh, you know, the 10th planet with the... They're coming back and they're different. You put the Cybermen in. And so the next time they come back, they're, they're in a different context. And I think once you push past that sort of feeling of disappointment, you've lost the original idea, then they sort of take on their own iconography. The whole yeah. Daleks as Nazis thing only came in later or, or Cybermen as communists. That had to be developed mm-hmm. um, over multiple stories. So um, I don't know what's left for the Weeping Angels. Um, what, I really what hope the... we're done with the Weeping Angels. I loved them. They are absolutely my favorite. And same with the Silence. I absolutely love Silence. But I feel like I, they're perfect and I just want them to That's what to I wanted. Stay. Yeah, if these yeah. are certain... But there isn't much to go mm. further with them because they are based on such a, a purity of idea, maybe. Yeah, you know, well, I think that was the thing for the, the Weeping Angels particularly is that the idea about them was so simple, mm. you know, which was that they're invincible while you're looking at them. And if you look away from them, they get you really quickly. Mm. And that's like, wow, that's really creepy. And the whole sending people back in time thing was actually felt like it. it you look at it sort of a, a bit outside of it, and it feels a little bit tacked on. You're like, well, that those two things don't really go together. Oh no, no, no! But no, it no, makes no, the story no, do, really good. They do. No, I, I, I think. Oh, I, I, oh no, okay, John. Oh, the thing this I is love good. about that first story so much for the Weeping mm. Angels is he basically says. It's that whole thing of the, um, and I've just forgotten the actual term for it, but you know, the, the, the act of observation changes the thing which is being observed. Yeah, yeah. So the whole point... The Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that whole thing where he says they live on potential energy. So they live on, on the moments you would have had if you'd had them... Like, it's all, yeah, it's see, all based I, around this... No, but, I mean, other fact, it's a jumble of different quantum mechanic yeah. ideas, but, it, yeah. but they're all related to each other, and I really like it, because I think it's... Hmm. Like someone has read a copy of New Scientist and then gone... Oh, not understood it. Though. Yeah, not understood it, and then uh, and then written a really cool story. And I actually, yeah, I, no, I'm but, happy with that. No, I, look, no. When I say that they don't fit together, I don't mean that they don't make a great story because I love that idea that that they somehow steal your potential and they send you back in time. I think it makes no metaphysical sense, and I don't mean that in in a sciencey way. I mean I mean that in a sort of philosophical way because those people still live out, and it's quite explicitly live out full and rich lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and it's, it's only it's a, sad bec- for the people who they left behind, right? They actually both in both instances well, it's still that sad we for see, them. they've been kidnapped and, and Yeah, but they know. make they they actually get on with it and actually have a pretty good life. I mean, I remember when, when David Tennant's there saying to um, the police officer, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, you're going to have to go the long way around. Mm. And then he lives this whole life and he gets married and he has a whole different career. That's the one bit I'm dodgy about though because of but course like, Tennant could have actually just gone the long way around and sent the task. Yeah. Back. It's the one bit where you go, you're a Bit of an asshole. Yeah, you really? could have just you could have just gone. Just wait here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just going to live out this. Yeah. It's forty years. It's nothing to you. You yeah. just you go and have some adventures. But the other thing too, David O'Keefe mentioned about the Weeping Angels is that they're, they're morally ambiguous, which he really oh, likes. Oh yeah, and that's a real Moffaty thing that he likes villains that either aren't villains because we've misunderstood them, or because you know mm. like that first version of the Weeping Angels, they're just a, a force of nature. They're a thing. In fact, there's not even a sense that. That they're malicious. They just this you is like what the they weather. do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're they're like a form of weather. And he does I love describe that them as assassins, though, doesn't he? Which is a weird sort of yeah. Look, I think there's so many ideas. I, I said before that they're very simple, but actually, yeah, the more we talk about it, the more I realise there's so many ideas combined in them. What does he call them? The the, the something assassins, so the friendly assassins, or yeah. the yeah. the kindly assassins, kindly or something assassins. like that. The only psychopaths to kill you nicely, I think he yeah. says, yeah. and flashes some teeth. I've got a couple of things from Twitter that people wanted to come back. So there was some that I was quite surprised. Um, so Nicholas... Uh, Hi, Nick, Nicholas. Nick RDE uh, on Twitter um, said he reckoned that most of the best ones were used at least twice, but that you could do another good ghost story um, like the with the Unquiet Dead guys, mm. the girls. Okay. Um, which I think is quite interesting because they kind of are left unresolved. Like they try to invade the Earth and then they basically just 
get they just get the door closed in their face. It's not like they're destroyed and, or anything. They could totally come back. And as has been pointed out quite often, uh, they're kind of a metaphor for asylum seekers. Mm. And uh, I don't know, have they been in the news lately? Like, <laughs> is there any? Can we get anything out of I that issue? Could, I think they could do something more topical. Yes. Yeah. But um, but yeah, no, that's a. I hadn't thought of that, but that's a good yeah. one. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, because you know, the, uh, I remember at the time, um, Mark Addis, who wrote the episode of The Unquiet Dead, was. He was kind of mortified that people read it that mm. way. He, he said, oh, I didn't intend it that way. And like, mm. yeah, but I can kind of see why people do read yeah. it that way. And it would be interesting to see like if they could be redeemed or if you could do another mm. interesting thing. But I them. think that's okay. I think it's okay that he approached it from a story perspective of, yeah. of course, they've got to turn on you. And of course, it's a metaphor for asylum seekers in a horrible way. And I, that, I think, you know, of course it's unintentional and that's mm. fine. You know, that's science fiction kind of does that difficult thing and you don't always agree with it, yeah. but it makes for some pretty interesting discussions. Right. I kind of like the way that the Doctor never, he never says, oh, I made a mistake, really. Like, he's like, no, it was the right thing to do mm. to give these guys the benefit of the doubt and let them in because, you know, that's the the opposite, the other way around, which is to have no compassion and to just mm. reject these people. Who would do that? Would be much worse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would, you'd have to be some kind of monster. <laughs> and, and certainly to fictionalise such an event is um, probably not particularly nice either. Oh, sorry, <laughs> getting political. I'd say actually one of the other ones, the Mark Gaddis reminded me, because I would be interested to see The Wire again. Oh, yeah. And because the interesting thing is, I think about what you know, Claudia was saying before, the, the two, in fact, that came to mind were, but one is, is The Wire, because we're never actually given any background to her at all, and I think that actually probably would have helped. Because it's an interesting idea. Yeah, again, that was one where the sort of ideas were sort of more front than, than what was going on. Like, what, why why don't they have faces? Like, but, but, seriously, like, oh, that yeah. is just a visual representation of the idea of telling, kind of cool, stealing think, someone's the identity. Wire, if the wire is a form of energy, you know, like you, you, could, you could do lots of different stories in different times. I don't know, you could do something, something really different something with really the wire and it would make sense. Yeah, you could do a completely different type of story. You could do a really contemporary one yeah. that was about modern media. Well, I like, want to do one of those future house ones. You know those, those future house <laughs> stories oh, about the yeah. futuristic house that kills people? I think why would be awesome one of those. Uh, but, um, I don't know, John. I don't know if people would like a story basically about a house. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one I mentioned was the Krillotanes, and a couple of people mentioned the oh, Krillotanes yeah. as well. Because the idea of what the Krillotanes are, how they're described, is really interesting, mm. and it in no way matches what we see them do on screen. Because mm. yeah. we're told they absorb and they change all the time um, through all of the cultures. They're kind of like the Borg. Um, but if the ball kept changing, also the ball kept form, changing, yeah, their shape. Except, of course, in the episode, yeah, it's a budget thing, probably more than anything else. They only ever stay the one form, and yeah, that would be interesting to idea of bat things. Bat things. Yeah. Well, they say this is our current form, which kind of makes sense. But that means you could bring them back and really redesign them quite a lot, and yeah. it, and it would totally work. And I work. think the idea of them evolving would be kind of interesting as a as a story. Yeah, because and also yeah, because they were very much secondary in that story. They were not, you know, most important thing. Um, one of the other ones we had on Twitter, actually from someone else in our audience, Fraser. Hello, Fraser. Hello, Fraser. Uh, said it wasn't a monster that he would like to see back, but Idris from The Doctor's Wife. Yeah, I'm down mm. with that. Because that's what I always had the problem mm. with because no one, I mean, we mentioned this before, but no one except I think Rory in passing yeah, is like, the death of the woman. Because she's not the TARDIS. Mm. She's some other yeah. woman who the TARDIS consciousness poured into, which kills and her, her. And, and then the body dies as well. I'm so like, horrified by that story all the way through. Like, Because I, I could never get, because I kept waiting for them to get back to that point. To go, She's mm. a real human being. We should actually be... Was she though? Wasn't she so many different parts that she was no longer? Well, no, she was no, so she was. She the they don't explain it, and I think they purposely did that because if you'd found out anything about her at the start of the episode, it would have made it very horrific for the rest. Whereas really, you get a bit of an empty blank slate. You don't know who she is. Um, they just tell her it's going to hurt a lot when they do it, 
and it seems like she's the last person they've got to put stuff in. But she she seems entirely human, or at least humanish. Yeah. Uh, and it's and, not really clear where she comes from or who Rory's, she is. Yeah, Rory's the only person who brings up she used to be a person. Everyone's going, no, it's great. She's like Helena Bottom Carter at the TARDIS. It's great. And yeah, and then Rory's going, no, no, she's a person. For God's sake, what's wrong with you people? Yeah. Why I love Rory so much. Rory is pretty awesome. You do have a bit of a bromance for Rory, don't you? Yes, we did do. Robert Lloyd sent us a message. He did. He Wednesday. felt that the bonus are outstanding, however, doesn't want them to return because he's afraid they won't be as good as the first time and again likens that to the Weeping Angels. So the boneless were the ones from... Uh, oh, from um, uh, Flatline. Flatline. Yeah, they were they were great, but also they're so weird. It's like, yeah, like the more you bring them back, the more the less weird they're going to have to get. Mm. Although Richard Watts responded to that one, saying a good writer though could do an interesting sequel, maybe send the TARDIS into the two D world to explore it from a different perspective. So the other idea is that you would you would yeah try and do a completely different yeah. Oh, yeah. approach That's to the same I like idea. that a lot. That would be cool. It'd be like one of those animated episodes of Community. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Do it. Do That's it. what Richard, who needs it. a musical episode. Yeah. <laughs> actually, that is odd that they haven't had one. I mean, actually, they've had some musical numbers, haven't they? There was the Daleks in what? Manhattan. What? Here come the drums, here come the drums. Oh, no, I... I, I toxic. Who likes that song? Toxic, come on. <laughs> Do you remember in Daleks Take Manhattan, there's actually a musical number. Mm. Mm. Yes. yes. No, I think, I think we're, we're well overdue for a musical Doctor Who episode. I think so. Yeah, that I can't believe totally it hasn't happened, happened yeah. to be honest. I mean, they, they, they could find out a way to do it. And look, you know, if they don't do it, maybe someone else should. Um, <laughs> who would... Yeah, someone needs to take on that challenge. That. There's a weird <laughs> subtext to this episode I'm not quite getting. What are, <laughs> what are we talking about? Give us your money. <laughs> Give us your money. Uh, I've got a couple uh, Twitter questions on this subject. Me too. From Dan Hall. I'm interested Hall. to see if we pick the same ones. Well, um, Dan Hall had a couple of ones. First of all, he wanted to know why they just came up with the new coloured... Like multicolored Daleks, and then just <laughs> forgot about them. Uh, and I look, I think those look the design of the, those Daleks aside. I made I Dalek 2.0 jokes like everybody else at the time. Um, it was not particularly original, but it fit so well. Uh, but uh, I, I think the the real sad loss was that they wrote all this backstory for them that never got onto the screen that you see in like all the toys and the magazines. That they were stuff. different types. Each one were... had a specific role, and there was supposed to be just that because it was a whole idea that was only one Dalek left or like a very small number, and they sacrificed themselves to create these new five Daleks who were going to create a new Dalek Empire. Mm. And they win that little first battle, and then they vanish, and you're like, these guys won, and then we never see them again, um, except yeah. in the background. And you're like, but that you could have explored that and had the, those Daleks doing interesting different things, and it never happened. Hey, but the Daleks used to be coloreds, right? Yeah. Hey! Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, good night, everybody. <laughs> but can I just say on those on the yeah yeah on the actual colour Daleks thing that yeah. um the, the they did seem to be this massive backdown because so many people didn't like them. <laughs> but I do think that maybe in about 10, 15 years, someone's going to say like with the special weapons Daleks, someone's going to say, "Hey, do you remember that thing when we were young and there were coloured Daleks?" Mm. Why don't we bring those back? Why yeah. has no one done a story well, about that? Well, there was that thing, we talked about this before, every part of Doctor Who is somebody's favourite part of Doctor Who. Mm. Like, yeah, yeah, no matter yeah. how, you know, <laughs> rubbish everyone else might think that bit is, it's always somebody's mm. favourite. And I mean, they did mention when in front of us where we're sitting, we can see the poster for Doctor Who and the Daleks, mm. in which the, the Daleks were in colour. And yeah. I believe that both Gatiss and Moffat have talked about that as being one of the, mm. the inspirations I for mean, them was the brightly coloured film Daleks. And that thing where... Now, you've used the word RELs in the Zero Project, I remember. Yes. The word, the word REL as a unit of time comes from the 
film or the comic? I it's in the what? comic. I think is they comic? they talk about Rel's and they also have a measurement of distance because Rel is was like it a never Dalek. Used in the TV, show? it was eventually, but it right. wasn't from the TV show. That's what I find no, really interesting. Yeah. The Doctor Who is this kind of bizarre, multi-level thing yeah. where people will nick stuff from the, the, the yeah. novelizations or from the films. It feeds back into the TV yeah, show. It's yeah. a really weird thing where it can kind of keep borrowing from itself. And mm. so it was interesting that this was an attempt by the TV series to go back to those 260s movies. But, yeah, it just kind of was odd. Yeah. <laughs> Dan also, he the same guy, Dan Hall, uh, on Twitter, um, said he reckoned the clock... I love his phrasing, actually, because he says, the clockwork weirdos from Girl yeah. in the Fireplace. Because <laughs> uh, the noise is hella creepy. And yeah. he's right. It is, it is. It is. And they did bring them back they for did. Deep Breath. Yeah. But it was a bit weird, wasn't it? Their later albums weren't so good. That yeah. first album... <laughs> Hella creepy by the Clockwork Weirdos. It's so good. <laughs> to be fair, that moment where you don't know whether, like, did did he jump or did the doctor push him? Oh, that was a bit. Yeah, that was a bit. And when you and when he's gone for so long while Clara's just standing there, yeah. and we're not still not quite sure who, what his I new doctor's like. So you're just much. like. Is he coming back? And then he looks at the camera and it's like, oh, he's looking at me. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, but yeah, they had they did have the noise. Um, and he reckons they can have a lot of outer forms, but they're always clockwork. So you could do something really interesting with them. Like, imagine if they turned up and there were like clockwork dogs coming after you. Like, that would be amazing. <laughs> I would love that. Steve Lay said he'd like to see the Venetian vampires again, this time struggling to survive in modern day Venice. And while I think that is an interesting uh, take on those villains, cool, I hated that episode. Oh, really? Oh. I just felt like, uh, you know, oh, we've got to keep this popular. Let's. Oh, people like Twilight. Let's do a story about vampires. I uh, hated it. That's just me, though. It's not. It's probably not just you. Well, here it's probably just you. No, it's just me Because every episode of Doctor Who is someone's hated one. And yeah, that's right. So that's okay. There's no wrong way to be a hater. Yeah, no wrong way to hate Doctor Who. That's right. That's right. Um, a few more. I just want to mention really quickly. Uh, what do you mean back? Lucas Testro mentioned the Forest of Cheem. Um, who was oh, mentioned yeah. by somebody else. Forest of Cheem got mentioned by a few people. Love to them to come back. That'd be great. Um, the Sycorax. Liz Ten. Was that one of yours, Lucas? Yeah, yeah Liz Ten for She's the Beast Below, awesome. who was an amazing yeah. character. Uh, Richard Watts picked the Carrionites. Um, because mm. of the idea of the science based on words instead of numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that Which was is good. so cool. Oh, yeah. Um, the yeah. Rachnos, which given their links with the Dark Times, gave him hope that they could lead into the great vampires. You never know. They the... could... Well, I think that's one they'd have to make more interesting because they were mm-hmm. just basically giant spider things. <laughs> yeah, that's boring. <laughs> just giant spiders. No, no, no. But I mean, I mean, I mean like... Not interesting you, giant spider. No, but they were, just, they, were just, they were just like a big creepy monster. They didn't, they didn't have anything terribly distinctive yeah. about them. I mean, they had a great... The Ragnar's Queen looked amazing. But you could have made a giant anything and mm-hmm. it would have fit in that story. It wasn't, she wasn't very distinctive. Yeah. And it was very much a, like, angry mum monster, <laughs> yeah, which true. is always a bit of a dodgy trope. Uh, Sophie from Canada said she'd like to see... Uh, I'm going to mispronounce this thing. Is it Chantho or Chanto? Uh, Chantho. Chantho. I think Chantho. Yeah. Oh, Chantho. Yeah. 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 The master's assistant who shot him, causing to regenerate. She was really cute and sweet, and somewhere in an alternate universe, she and Martha Jones are living their beautiful interspecies lesbian existence, free of any and all Time Lord interference. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Poignant. Aw. That's, I'm, you know what? We're going to be able to find fan fiction about that. <laughs> now I'm going to look for it. There are a lot of ideas that sort of seem like, oh, they should bring that back. And then you think, well, we've kind of got big finish for that. That mm. sort yeah. of seems to be that, you know, if there are any unresolved uh, strings or, or you want to see a monster come back, yeah, big finish is sort of covering that. And it sort of seems like there's less 
uh, need for, for New Who to do that, even though, you know, I'd be the first one jumping up and down if Mor- Morbius came back to New Who. Well, it's also a thing where you, when you bring stuff like that back from the classic series, you've got to keep in mind that the new audience, most of them have never watched the classic mm. series and yeah. don't intend to, and, and they don't have to, of course, but that means that when you bring those characters back, you've got to usually, particularly someone like Morbius who's got such a massive amount of sort of history in terms of in the fiction of the show, if not in terms of how much he's appeared, um, you've got to reintroduce that if you're going to make a link back to the past. And that's, I think that could be quite tricky. You know, you've got to balance that. Can I link into that? Murray Head asked this question, which I cut to this, which is, what's the best contribution of New Who to the mythology oh, of the show? So what's it, what's it added, you think, in particular that's... I reckon definitely the destruction of Gallifrey. Like, when, they, when that yeah. came out in... I mean, our, our favourite Ninth Doctor episode, the one we voted in, was the, um, the End of the World. And I do love that episode. And one of the reasons is because you really feel that impact of... He's the last one. That's it. There's no more Time Lords. And I thought that was genius. It really it really gave the new series a kick. I mean, obviously, it had that whole thing, a character thing for the Doctor with the survivor guilt and everything. But also, it was just a great bit of mythology that the Time Lords are not just non-interventionist. Like, when they did get involved, they just screwed it up royally. Mm. And that they're not necessary. And, and, and I think, I kind of feel like the 50th anniversary destroyed this a little bit, but you got this real feeling that they were just as bad as the Daleks. And the reason the Doctor had to destroy them both was that getting rid of the Daleks would not have stopped Time Wars. Like once the, the Time Lords had wiped out the Daleks, they would have moved on and gone, all right, who's the next biggest menace to the universe? We're just going to keep wiping them out. Yeah. And, and then when they did the 50th one, they kind of very much painted Gallifrey as a victim of the Time War and that they were kind of innocent and their planet was full of like young children and just people who were not involved in the war at all. And you're like, well, then that makes it, I mean, you know, that's, that does make it more morally complex, but at the same time, it also kind of undoes that really interesting decision to go, well, the Time Lords aren't just apathetic, they're possibly actively evil. And that was a really, I thought that was a but really great addition. children on both sides. Do you no, know what I mean? There's like, no Dalek children. They're he, born that way. Graham did they start that way. They're like Lady Gaga. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I mean. Heath Graham did say, surely the biggest monster of a new who is the Time Lords, mm. which yeah. she thought was yeah, the most interesting kind of Rassilon thing. Rassilon particularly. I thought that was really interesting. Well, it's funny because when you talk about sort of that idea of, of, you know, the broader thing, the only thing I can really think of that's been particularly added in is more that, it's more trying to find excuses for why the Doctor can't do everything. Yeah. Like in, in yeah. Philip Sandifer's books, he talks about how the Doctor can't live forever because if he does, that means in theory his time traveller can turn up at every moment to fix everything. Mm. You know, like, like everyone can be saved. So this is like the whole thing about trying to find excuses, you know, like, like moments in time, that are fixed points in time. And like, like obviously they have to keep trying to find reasons mm. why the Doctor can't But that, that's actually, that. I'll, uh, seeing as, as you've already taken the uh, destruction of Gallifrey, I'm going to take as, as my answer to that question, the fixed points in time. Because the big question is if the Doctor keeps turning up to places and solving things, then you keep thinking World War Two. there are quite a mm. number of atrocities in our history... Mm. The fixed point in time thing, I think, gives him a real interesting moral angle. And they used it almost immediately after they introduced it within a, within a year or two. Uh, they also brought in future events that were fixed points in time. It wasn't just our history. Mm. It was like he turns up uh, to space, was it a uh, Bowie? Bowie Base One. Bowie yeah. Base One and says, no, actually, this was meant to happen. So 
rather than just using it as a catch-all for any tragedy that we wanted fixed in our real world, they're saying, no, this is, they're extrapolating it into the world of Doctor Who, into the future. And I thought that was quite an interesting addition. We had a Twitter question from Mark Duval. What did you think about Moffat retroactively inserting the War Doctor instead of using the Eighth Doctor? Oh, well, well, I think uh, I think basically he's using the War Doctor because he couldn't get the Ninth Doctor rather than the Eighth <laughs> Doctor. I think that's what yeah, that question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is Richard? Oh Watts. no, they might have meant that. They might have meant if you can't get the Ninth, then just bring in McGann. Come on, oh, give him yeah. his oh, due. I, I think yeah, a lot yeah. of people were saying because Richard oh, yeah. Watts yeah. asked the question too. How different would the fiftieth anniversary have been if Eccleston had agreed to return and there was no need for the War Doctor? So I guess basically mm. what the question is: what, what what do you feel, War Doctor? I, I, I love the War Doctor. I had that initial thing of, oh, don't mess with my continuity. Who is this guy? How did I? What? Hang on, hang on. I've got, I've got my figurines got need to be reordered. It's what okay, are you, Lee. What are you doing Lee. to me? It's okay. Remember, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. War, nine, ten, eleven. Thank you. Thank you. I do. You got it. I've quoted that many times. Thank you, Ben. Um, but uh, yeah, no. The more I've thought about, it, the more I thought it was a brilliant way to, uh, to sort of kick up the, th- uh, the, the 50th or get, jump into it by saying, you know what, the Doctor's got secrets, even we don't know. We think we know his whole history. We think we know all the big points. Mm. There is a secret. You remember that time it was off the air? They worked in the fact that the show was cancelled <laughs> as a plot point. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. when you weren't watching for 16 or whatever, eight years, um, it's, uh, yeah, there was another Doctor in there and he didn't call himself the Doctor and it's John friggin' Hurt. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm all for yeah. it. Um, more for me is more the idea that if you can tell me John Hurt's played the Doctor, that's so cool, I don't care. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> He was so good. Throw more of them in. You know, just go and approach really famous people and go, look, do you want to have been the Doctor? You know, like, (laughs) around the John Pertwee era, we'll put you there. Maybe the... (laughs) Just skip doing a generation actual sequence for Capaldi when he finishes just, just start with someone else it. and then they could just go back and, and retroactively insert <laughs> yes. some more like the next Doctor will be like the 26th Doctor you know uh, but no I thought he was great I, I think maybe that one will be a woman well I think the weird thing yeah well maybe oh 26 is probably too early the, <laughs> we've got a question about that which we come back to but well, I'm going by US presidents 45 Fifth, I think. Okay. Doctor should be a... Yeah, right. yeah. Cool. Oh. I, I, yeah, the War Doctor's really... Because I loved John Hurt in that. But he was... I, I think it was weird because um, I think if they'd got Christopher Eccleston in, it would have felt more like what they sold the War Doctor as. Because when they talk about him, it's like he did all these dark things and he mm. got the business done and he didn't call himself the Doctor because he was just slaughtering Daleks, right? And, and you're like, oh, cool. And then he turns up and he's like a cuddly grandpa. And he's so nice. And he just looks at these young whippersnappers and he's like, what's wrong with you two? You know, and I loved him, but I'm like, you are not what we've been told the war doctor is. Like, and I understand you're at the end of that journey, but surely at the end of it, you should be the most bitter and dark no, of he's all. Tired. He's yeah, just, he's I actually, tired. Yeah, I, I agree with that it's tired. I think this is where um, the next uh, 50 years worth of big finishes and, uh, and books will fill in the gaps where he comes back as this young, angry, I'm going to fight everyone. And he, you can see how young he looks in yeah. Night of the Doctor. Yeah. And you can imagine he's had this whole lifetime of just doing the most horrible things to try and, you know, do what needs to be done. And at the end of it, he's just like, I'm sick of being that guy. I'm sick of being uh, the war doctor. I'm going to press a button and, and stop it all. Yeah, and okay. So, yeah. All right, no, that makes sense. We, the actual shot we see of Hertz, like, from I, Claudius or something, isn't it? Like, it's yeah. a very, very young... Something like that, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so he's had a long time. But mm. I think what we're... Yeah, no, that, that makes sense, and you've kind of changed my mind about that a bit, but um, I think uh, the difference would have been if Eccleston had done it, he would have been 
really hard. Like those scenes with him and the other doctors, it wouldn't have been him being reminded what it's like to be the doctor. He would have just been really angry with them. The weird thing is, I'm not mm. sure would it have worked with Eccleston because, like you're saying, he would be angry. Yeah, and mm. and the yeah. and that special, so much of it is played for comedy. So much of it is yeah. played. I would have been but, hard. But, but the thing about Eccleston being angry is so. I think it's so exaggerated. When I go back and watch it, there are maybe three scenes where I go, he's angry there, and the rest of the time he's no. dancing and charming. But and he yeah. starts angry though. He starts angry, and, yeah. and that would have been before he has the sort of transformative experience I was thinking with Rose. More the plot of the special though that, that I, I can't imagine him being able to, to have had those happy moments in the same way. That, yeah, mm. it wouldn't have fit in. If, if we're talking okay. about it being Eccleston from before Rose, then because that's where that's where he softens. Like in that first episode. He's so harsh, particularly until the end of it when he goes, maybe I could have a companion again and be the doctor Moff, again. Moffat wouldn't have said, oh, I can't write this banter in between our three doctors because it'll screw up the continuity of Rose. He just would have written it and we would have. Yeah. it would have been left to us to yeah. fill in the gaps. I guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I do wish Big Finish, I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if they could be given a licence to make War Doctor yes. dramas? That they would be they have started so. doing, not Big Finish, but there, there's at least one novel Mm. And I think there's going to be some more stuff. So they are going to write some some fiction. They're doing a unit series with um, Kate Lethbridge Stewart. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. With you know from from the actual TV show. That's cool. And it's really interesting because no one's quite sure this might be yeah. a sign that they've actually got to get a new license or let them do. Oh. It's the first. I think it's the first brick in that wall, yeah. that famous wall between Big Finish and New Who. Yeah. That's the first brick that's really come out because New Who has referenced Big Finish. This is the first time. Big Finish has been allowed to go the other way, yeah. so, yeah. Wow. Well, apart from the, the weird cameo of uh, Eccleston in, in The Kingmaker, which they they <laughs> managed to not get in trouble with. But, um, <laughs> but like, someone who's probably a time traveller has left a note for... I can't remember who The Kingmaker is. Is it Colin Baker? Anyway, they've, they've left it's a... Davison, I think. Uh, oh, it's Davison? Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was a northern guy in a leather jacket with big ears. Like, <laughs> <and> it's, <laughs> it's great, because it's so clear to, to the nerdy listener who that is. <laughs> That's it's cute. just a sweet idea thinking Eccleston showed up in a big finish. Like it's <laughs> <laughs> that's really that's really cool. Oh, I hope that new unit series is like a set a bit before the Capaldi one because then Osgood can come back. <laughs> yeah, I'm not he sure. It might, come it might back. Have, yeah, it's um because it, it's a one-off kind of Extinction Day or something it's called. So it's clearly mm. like a big. Oh, I think it's okay. going to be along one of the sort of children of um, kind of a big event sort of deal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that could be cool. Could be cool. That could be cool. Any more questions? Is there any format tweaks you would do as a showrunner, and that comes from Nicholas again. Oh. Would we tweet if we were given a chance at showrunner or anyone you would like to see specifically do showrunner? Is the question specifically about the format, like the thirteen weeks a year type, or the? I, well, if you look at what Russell T Davis has done as showrunner mm. and 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 Moffat, well, you know, take it as an open. Yeah, what would you? What would you? Okay, do I've got one. Um, I would uh, first episode in there would be some massive cataclysmic thing that would happen to the TARDIS at the end of the episode, and he realizes that he can no longer control it. New companion, it's a, it becomes a real conundrum. It's all, I can't take you home at the end of the day. If you want to come with me, you might never come home. And that becomes the, how much mm. is this adventure worth it? Oh, yeah. And then that's the rest of the series. Can't control it. It, it does put... Uh, it does make some of the storytelling really difficult if you really need to use the TARDIS for certain things, but um, I think it'd be worth it for the new that the new invigoration yeah. that would yeah. give it. Mm. It's oh, that's I, cool. you know, I shouldn't be trusted with any of this stuff because clearly I have no idea what people want. And you know, <laughs> so, yeah, I look at Rusty Davis and go, yeah, you, you know what people want because I mean the stuff I would like to see is yeah, I'd like to see a few more two-parters. I'd love to see a season just experimenting with changing the format entirely, where like you know the TARDIS breaks down and the Doctor is stuck 
somewhere. Haven't we done that? Well, we, you know, we've done unit and stuff. I just, I just think it'd be really interesting to just kind of, you know, just really jumble up the, the thing mm. and go, okay, we know what it's normally like. Let's do this one where we just put him somewhere where he cannot, mm. you know. He could be Franny Fisher. He could be in the 20s and solve crime. Um, <laughs> I know, I would just like to see, I guess the thing is I'd like to be surprised maybe by a, a decision where you go, well, that's bold. You know, that's mm. a crazy year-long idea to play with. Yeah. I, mean, I remember when Eccleston only did that one year. I was kind of taken by the idea of the doctors should only ever do one year. Like every year. Oh, every doctor. year, new doctor. Because we've, oh, we've got the 10 mind. new ones by now. We'd have, we'd have three female doctors by now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. it's just that thing of, it would just be amazing to... And I, I kind of love that idea if you could go and throw more war doctors in. So give us the first female doctor already. Just make... You know, yeah. she just was do back. it. Oh, yeah. 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 In between yeah. Troughton and Percy. Exactly. doctors. Yeah. Yeah. So to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you say that? It's <laughs> terrible. Oh, look, there's a lot of cake here. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, uh, would, you, would you change anything? Would you tweak? Oh, you know, it's really hard because I, I kind of like where it's going now for the most part, but I really like Lee's suggestion because I think you know, they they still have this, and it, it's been that way since Rose, but they still have that real idea that getting in the TARDIS and going on adventures is like going on a holiday and you can go home anytime you want. And I, I think removing that would be the thing that I would love to do mm-hmm. because they keep talking about how dangerous it is and it's like, yeah, but if you really don't want to get involved, as long as the TARDIS isn't stuck in an iceberg or something, mm. you can just go back inside and wait and then go home. Like it's not, and I think that it removes a bit of that, Kind of, where are we? What are we doing? Um, and I and I I like that. I like that sort of randomness. Um, I'd like to see them have more than one companion. Yeah, actually, that's yeah. what I'd like. I mean, they they did it, and they keep doing it with the companion's partner, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. But we've kind of done that now, and I think I think it'd be great to have a personality sort of clash. I mean, I know it's hard because you're doing like forty five minute episodes and finding stuff for three characters to do in that time frame can feel difficult. But I think you can do it, and I think uh, I think that would be interesting. And maybe a non-human companion. Like I'd like to see someone who's that also an outsider. Yeah, somebody who's yeah non-contemporary. Yeah. yeah, I think that would be great because I haven't done that in the new series. And I think giving that other perspective and really doing something interesting with it, like you know, having somebody from four hundred years ago trying to figure out how all this technology works, or someone from the future who's got a really different view about humanity yeah. and and what it means to be human or something like that. I think, I think that could be really interesting. One thing I just were reminded, because I was thinking about this the other day, that the whole idea of, we all think about, oh, it's, the Doctor's great, you go on these adventures, you go to these amazing places, and as a kid, it's like, oh, I wish the TARDIS would land and take me away. And then, of course, all we actually see is them running in terror from yeah. stuff. Like, we, only, we, only, we only see the nightmare moments. Yeah. Yeah. And often we don't even get that much implication there's any not nightmare to be fair, that's what you see on Facebook of people's lives anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you only ever see them running down yeah. corridors. Running or... the <laughs> hey, look, here's my food. <laughs> but also, I was just thinking about the, the fact that it's kind of funny that we, we, we think of this still as this great adventure life when in fact all we actually see is the kind of disaster nightmare moments of it. And the one maybe problem New Who has with that against Old Who is that Old Who, no one had actual emotions. You know, no one's going well, to you know, go is... into depression or fear or, or, or post... Well, yeah. not, this segues not into often. what I'd like to well, see. Which is the new one is kind of weird because you kind of have to go, yeah, we're having a great time even though I think tried to kill you yesterday. That's fine. Look over there. Dog with a fluffy tail. You know, there's a whole <laughs> sense of just <laughs> trying to deal with the emotions in a show that, that it allows you to deal with the emotions within the story but not beyond the yeah. story. So yeah, there's yeah. no downtime that we see. Mm-hmm. I would like to throw continuity out the window and go back to... I want to see zero. I want to see either Hartnell... 
played by someone else like pre when we met him or since I, I assume that the numbering is completely out the window now, I'd like to see pre-Hartnell. I'd like to see what happened before we were introduced well, to you know the there's actually a, a kickstarted web series. Of course which, there is. Which has all of the serial numbers filed off. But it's about the young doctor and the young master on Gallifrey. And the whole conceit of the show is they never tell you which one's which. Oh, that's good. Because they have, they have yeah. nicknames. Oh, and I, I think so it's still being made. Although, although I must admit, I looked that up and they claimed that they had approval from the BBC, which they clearly didn't. They clearly don't. And they were after a million dollars. They, <gasps> they made $15 or something at that point. So I, I, I wouldn't hold my breath. Because you know, oh, you know what Kickstarter's are like. Yeah, wow. No one ever succeeds making those. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> if only someone would do a Kickstarter for something that they could clearly produce because they've done it before and, and for a reasonable amount of money that like, probably what, they what could sort get. Of thing, what kind of idea would I you don't think? Know. <laughs> guys, Maybe guys like... this is meant to be about Doctor Who. You keep derailing it with your award-winning segues. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just sorry. ridiculous in an award-winning sense. We're so sorry. Um, look, there's a few other things. I've got a few other questions here. I'm sure you've got some as well. We talked about before that we both really like the destruction of, of Gallifrey as a, an addition that the new series made. But what do we, where do we think that's going to go now that he knows that it's not destroyed? Um, spoilers. Uh, and uh, that he's looking for it. Do we think, is he going to find it? Do we want him to find it? I don't think he'll go anywhere, will it? I mean, I think you that's, think so? I don't know, I think that's the kind of thing that, that a future showrunner may or may not want to return to, but... Yeah, and would it, because I, I don't know what, I mean, the, I don't know what it would add to the show now. Like, he's, he's not going to go home all the time. Like, his whole point, I mean, it was always kind of weird when he went home in the past. He's like, I don't fit in here, I don't want to stay exactly. here, I'm only here because I have to be here. Uh, might be president for five minutes. Um... But I don't know that you would want to do that in the new series. I, th I think uh, the really interesting thing about Moffat episodes is he, and I wish I had more examples prepared, but uh, he he seems to write the thing that he thinks will be the thing that everyone talks about. Like thing A is what everyone will talk about and people come away talking about thing B. Like mm. they're still talking about wasn't that amazing, but it, it always seems to be something. I, I feel like at the end of the 50th um, the return of Gallifrey was meant to be the big thing. It's meant to be the thing we all left, left the cinema or the lounge room talking about. And, uh, and there was so much in that special that we were talking about all the other things. I do feel like it's kind of set up maybe for someone else. Like, he's on this theoretical search for Gallifrey that we may not see until 10 years down the track, the yeah. 75th anniversary maybe. Um, I feel like that's what it's set up for. Like, no one actually wants Gallifrey to return, but they like the idea of him looking for it. Mm. Yeah, and they do, they do seem to only just throw it in when they feel like, oh, we need kind of a dramatic emotional moment for the Doctor here. We'll have him banging the TARDIS console because the thing's not there. They'll have him what? <laughs> With his... <laughs> you know, I was about to explain... Oh, matron! I was, about to, I was about to explain by saying, no, no, Petra, with his fist, but that wouldn't have made it... No. <laughs> Oh. I'm so sorry. I apologise to everyone in the audience. You're listening to Splendid oh, Chap Nights. Now, um, I think we should... We Splendid should, Chaps uh, after dark. After dark. After dark. We should wrap this up, but we do actually have a prize. Oh, we do. We do have Wait, a prize. We do. We, we do. actually now, have a prize. Normally, very Well, no, guys. look, I was going to say, normally we would have two. One for the audience <laughs> and one for the listener. I think the audience here has a cake, and that's a prize for everyone. But for the listener, what do we have as a prize for the listener, Ben? Well, for the listener, we have... Um, a two-disc DVD set of uh, The Time of the Doctor, which, uh, look, anyway. Uh, <laughs> but, but also, it includes all the other Matt Smith Christmas specials. Including the good one. Including the good one. There's listened. at least can two good it? ones. What, what? I listened. Can I win it? No. <laughs> no, but you can watch it. 
Uh, no, you can't yeah, watch well, you it. Can, you it's can still leave a sealed. On the because um, that's to win. We should say to, to win. You need to just leave a comment on the website, the Spanish Chaps website, yes. uh, with this episode. Uh, we will pick one at random, and anywhere in the world, we will send you this two-disc DVD. It's still in the shrink wrapping. Ooh. It is. Uh, and be aware that it is a region for DVD oh, yeah, because that's, that's still a thing with DVDs, apparently. Uh, uh, thanks to our good friends at... Uh, uh, Village okay. Roadshow. <laughs> Village Roadshow. No, they're called something else. Roadshow Entertainment. BBC on TV DVD. Oh, yeah. Oh, BBC on yeah. DVD. Yeah. We might... Hang on. Let's do that a bit again. Our good friends. <laughs> <laughs> thanks to our good friends at BBC on DVD. Australia. Yes. Yeah, so tell us what you think. Um, what, what else do we normally do at the end of the show? It's been so long. We uh, have a musical number, don't we? Oh, yeah, the next show. So, so yes, but we, we, we made Night Terrace at the end, uh, our award-winning series, um, which mm. is on Kickstarter as well. Uh, go to nightterrace.com. You can download the first episode. We should also point out that um, you pledge now, pay later. So if you're waiting for payday... Feel free to just, you know, tell us that you'll give us some money and it'll come out of your account on the final account, day. On the final which day. is the 26th. 26th. You've got two weeks from the day that we're recording this, so who knows how long that is from when it actually goes online. Three hours. Uh, <laughs> Three hours. We we'll love you, We'll get this Dave. up uh, four days before the Kickstarter <laughs> ends. Um, yeah, but it's been it's been good fun to get back together and talk it about it. Oh, one thing, actually, I think a nice thing to maybe just end with quickly is uh, so a couple of people asked how our thoughts about New Who had changed in the time since we either did our podcast or when we first saw it. And, I, I mean, I think, I think I do have a much softer spot for David Tennant than I used to. I still, I still don't really like his first season, but I, I really warm to him more. And, and I, you know, I always kind of liked him. He's got that very Tom Bakery charm about him. Uh, and I, but, I, yeah, I think that's one thing that has happened is that I've looked at him and gone, oh, I like you more than I thought I did. Well, I yeah. said that thing before. I'm warm because Capaldi gave me a season I really, really liked. And I went, oh, I've had one now. Oh, that's good. I feel it's fair now. We've all shared. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, eight I didn't like, one I quite liked, what I really liked. That's good. That's yeah. good. I'm happy with that. So, yeah. And, I, and again, that thing where the more I watch Russell T. Davies stuff, it's that we think, I still don't like any of it, but there's the respect I have for him as a writer and a, an understander of, of audiences. And like you were saying, the P.T. Barnum nature of how he knows mm. what will work. I'm always really impressed by. Well, it's still here ten years later, so he's done something right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Petra? Has your opinion changed at all over the time? Well, yeah. I mean, ten years ago, I wasn't interested in Doctor Who, so it's definitely changed. <laughs> I would say. Uh, you know, I remember visiting my um, my family, and and they were watching it. And I'm like, oh, I, yeah, this thing from the '80s. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, once I had been introduced to it from a um, a more enthusiastic point of view, I'm <laughs> I'm here and I'm here to stay. Lee Stigariah. Ah, I loved it, and I still love it. All of it. It's all great. But quite honestly, I say I I make a joke about it, but I honestly love all of it. Uh, Even the bits I don't like, I still kind of love. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I'm on board with that actually. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we normally finish with a musical act. Uh, We don't have one now. So here's one we prepared earlier. (laughs) Uh, Back on our second live show in February 2013, Volcanically Hot. hot It was. And people rang up, people had had contacts saying, will there be air conditioning? It's like, yeah, and we contacted. I said, yes, there will. And the air conditioning was in the section the person who took the payment yeah, sat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That was was it. It was was not in the spot of where we were actually on. If you were selling tickets, you were comfortable. If you were anyone else. If you were maybe an audience member who had just stepped off a flight and carried your bags across Melbourne on foot, <laughs> then and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not talking for... Per- well, I am talking for personal experience. It was particularly warm. It was, But yeah. it was a great show. I'm, I don't know what percentage of the audience survived that show. It, it, was, it was pretty low, I think. Uh, I think the... 
the ones who the are here. People. That's yeah. it, really. Yeah. The anyway, left. Dina Curie performed um, for us, comedian and cabaret performer. And he did a great parody of uh, Jesse's Girl, uh, which he rewrote. It was a really traditional filk song. Mm. He took a he took an, a, an existing song and he changed the words so it was about something nerdy, and he uh, he changed it into Jamie's legs. Yes, as a tribute to Jamie McCrennan. But for the sound check, he performed a, a, a cover of Time After Time, the yes. Cindy Lauper song, uh, which is a song about time. It's a song about the time war, in fact. Yeah, that's mm. the whole time after time mm. element mm. to so, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, and it was really lovely. And it, yeah, and, and I imagine if we'd got to hear the whole thing, it would have been particularly lovely. But of course, the microphone collapsed towards the end of Which that is particular. Why you do a sound check? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, for a sound check, it goes. It was entirely successful. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but we do have the recording of it. So to end off with, we're going to hear Dino Curie performing some of <laughs> Time After Time by Cindy Lauper. <laughs> But until next time we meet... Thank you. It's good. Keep warm. Lying in my bed I hear the clock tick and think of you Caught up in circles Confusion is nothing new Flashback Warm nights I fall behind Suitcase of memories Time after Sometimes you picture me I'm walking too far ahead You're talking to me Can't hear what you said And you say, go slow I fall behind The second hand unwind if you're lost and you look and you will find me time after time if you fall I will catch you I'll be waiting time after time if you're lost and you look and you will find me time after time if you fall, I will catch you. I, I will be waiting. Mike after Mike. Beautiful. They're some of my favourite bits. This is Tim, everybody. Why did I have to wear a beanie on a day like today? Who knows?